We're going to turn our attention now to the question of inequality. And it's been interesting to see how much of the analysis of what is unfolding has been centered on issues of inequality, has also been centered on issues of poverty. Dominic Raubabe is a diversity and inclusive specialist at Cohesion Collective. Dominic, good morning to you. Uh, Good morning, Kathy. Uh, Pleasure to be with you. Perhaps I don't want to take it for granted, Dominique, that when we have conversations about inequality, we are all moving from the same place and that we are moving from the same understanding. Mm. So let's perhaps begin with the very basics about what is inequality? Yeah. So the story of inequality in South Africa is a story that is as old as South Africa and even older uh, than South Africa. The things that are happening currently are not in the absence of the historical context from which we come. And the historical context from which we come, which was essentially from 1652, a society built on white supremacy, put in simple terms, a society built on the mistreatment of those that were identified as non-white, has produced in our present day and still persist um, high unemployment rates, high inequality, high poverty through a systematic exclusion of people to a you know to to doing meaningful work and for them to have dignity so this historical background literally has brought us where it is that we are now but as south africans our political leaders also committed a huge mistake in that we tried to integrate racism in 1994 so we gained the vote we got the political freedom, but nothing was ever done economically and socially to say we need to materially change and add to the best interest of our people. And because we've tried to integrate racism, the racist system is producing exactly that which it's been designed for. The most unequal country in the world, more than 60% youth unemployment. And essentially what we need to appreciate as South Africans right now is that there are countries that have gone to revolutions for far less serious circumstances than we have faced in more than 20 years. So, Dominique, when we talk about South Africa being an unequal society, in very practical terms, what do we mean by that? How does that express and manifest itself in our society? The South African society, the South, let me put it this way, the South African class structure is very much similar to the South African corporate structure in that South Africa looks like a big, beautiful cappuccino that is black and brown at the bottom, white cream on top with a few brown sprinkles, and that has been by design. That means certain people within this country, 90% of our population lives off 4,000 rand or less per month. Mm. When we do not understand that reality, we get confused when we see the born freeze that we're taking our government to task regarding free education. Because the youngsters were saying, guys, this game is rigged. You cannot tell us that we've got equal access to education when 90% of us come from homes where the combined income of those that take care of us is 4,000 rand or less. Mm. That impacts the opportunities that we can access. That impacts the quality of education that we can access. That impacts whether we get to work or not. And then, given that we've also tried
trying to integrate racism within this country, we still have a reality where a black undergraduate is still twice more likely to be unemployed than a white matriculant. If indeed education has been the fixer and that we are operating on meritocracy and those that are most qualified are the ones that will make it within our organizations and societies, then we cannot reconcile logically how it is that a black undergraduate would still be twice more likely to be unemployed in 2021 than a white matriculant. Inequality is a problem that faces all of South Africa and it is manifest in all of the provinces of this country. Yes. Why then is inequality being used as a way to explain what is happening in Gauteng, what is Uh happening in KwaZulu-Natal, when it is not happening in other provinces? It is because inequality is not the cause, it is the contributor. Poverty is not the cause, it is the contributor. Mm. If we say inequality and poverty are the cause, then by following logic, it means that those that are poor are automatically criminal. I grew up from a a background where we did not have much. Mm. I grew up around poverty. I have seen people being dignified in their poverty that even in their desperation, they have never resorted to criminality. Mm. It is a contributor. It is not a cause. At the point at which we make it a cause, we make people that are poor automatically criminals in our society. And because it's not a contributor but a cause, that's where I hold each of us accountable, that we must be accountable for our personal actions. Mm, mm. My desperation does not necessarily mean that I need to participate in criminal acts. I can still choose to do that as right, to do that which is righteous, even in my desperation. And so if we say inequality is the cause, essentially we relinquish personal responsibility. Mm. As a nation, if we are righteous, as a nation, if we respect the rule of law as the foundation upon which we need to build our country, if we center those things, then we will not follow people that have wicked plans and corrupt plans that are seeking to shift power for themselves that will still, by the way, not benefit the majority of the people. One of the things that uh, I think many in in this country uh, again have been tr- have been grappling with is is it, it goes back to where do we draw the line because uh, there are different conversations taking place. Some yeah. people are saying, "Well, um, what you are watching here is criminal. It is looting, and these people are criminals, and they are looters." There are others on the other end of the spectrum who say these are not criminals and looters. These are hungry, poor people. And, of course, framing is important. How you frame any conversation determines what you will get out of the conversation in the long run. And it certainly creates certain perceptions in society about this conversation that that we're having. Are there ways that we should be having this conversation that we have not been without relinquishing the accountability of the individuals that you are still stealing at at the end of the day, but yet still acknowledging that people are suffering, people Mm. are going through a lot in their personal lives, they don't have food, and that is a struggle that they face on the day-to-day. Yeah, 100%. Um, we need to have this discussion with compassion. We need to have this discussion very human to human. 
we have existed and I've been doing this work for more than six years and I have maintained whenever I've engaged especially with those in positions of leadership within our corporates and those that are within society that mm-hmm. our current um, our situation is not sustainable. It is not sustainable. If we can engage in this conversation with compassion, we can then begin to understand its entire complexity, that others were driven by desperation, others were driven by greed, others were driven by criminality, Mm. others were the orchestrators uh, politically who just found fertile ground because of the poverty and the inequality and the inability to access opportunities. They just found fertile ground Mm. and literally a small match was cast on a mountain that had dry grass and it literally went ablaze. They found very fertile ground. But once again, I come back to this point. If we make poverty and inequality the cause, we automatically criminalize those that are poor. Given South Africa's history, poverty has a color and therefore we automatically criminalize ourselves. If we can begin to think about this in very serious ways, and by the way, this is this is part of the hope that we need to hold on to. Mm. Number one, we need to respect and defend the rule of law. All right. I, coming from a Christian background, just a short story, when the children of Israel were delivered from Egypt all right, and were taken to the promised land, that which they received first was not land, it was not resources, it was not houses, it was law. It's because in the absence of law, nothing has value. In the absence of law, life has not value. Therefore, we need to defend our law first and foremost. We need to take personal accountability in order to act righteously, even when we're faced with desperate circumstances, because poverty does not necessarily make us criminals. And lastly, we need to unite across our differences as South Africans. When we play into the divisions of tribalism, when we play into the divisions of black and white and colored within our country. Mm. We are literally playing to the script that was designed for us. We need to choose very consciously how do we unite uh, across our differences. And in our unity, how do we commit ourselves in producing a society based on justice? And justice for me will mean two things. How do we build a society where we guarantee that nobody's mistreated because of their difference, because of their identity, Mm -hmm. no matter who they are? We guarantee that nobody's mistreated. And number two, how do we as a society guarantee that those that need the most help in our society, in our country, receive the most constructive help? How do we ensure that the poor, the widows, the children, the women that have been dispossessed, how do we Mm. as a society take collective accountability to produce the most constructive help? Because we recognize that we are only as strong as the weakest members that are there within our society. You know, it, it's it's it feels somewhat oxymoronic having this this conversation because there's there's so many um, different different things different things at play. You're talking about leading with compassion and mm-hmm. being able to um, reflect on this moment, calling for law and order, and yet at the same time not excusing not excusing people where they have been behaving out of bounds with the law. Mm. How, so, so how do you do that? Where in the past week we have seen images of young children yeah. walking out of shops with groceries, um, mm. with clothes, and talking about how, you know, 
they, they don't have they don't have clothes and so part of the reason why they have done this is because this was their chance of of being able to have a, a fresh pair of underwear to change yeah. into every other day uh-huh. and, and and so how do you begin to then still in you know talk about the law in a stronger sense that one needs to in this uh-huh. instance while also appreciating where the individual stories, the individual circumstances of those that have been part of this looting are coming from. And and, and it varies, right? It varies from the very desperate cases to those that have been unashamedly stealing big screen TVs, fridges, couches, Mm. you know. So I'm just saying that everybody's coming through from from a different place and mm-hmm. and how do you begin to bring that compassion into the situation because if you treat this young boy that i'm talking about differently to what you did the old man who's stealing a fridge and um you know and 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 big screen TVs yeah. then it's unjust in as far as the application yeah. of the law is concerned let me put it this way, um, even in, and let me go back to this, even in Christian biblical teaching, that there, there is what is called the age of accountability. Because there's been a recognition for thousands of years that children often do that, which is modeled by those that come before them and sometimes can do wrong things and therefore cannot be held fully accountable for their actions. The person that is old, we hold to account and we put and we throw the might of the Lord behind them because we know that they know better. They ought to be accountable. And so when there's a difference in treatment between children and adults, that difference in treatment is justified because the adults are fully accountable for their actions. Let's come back to the complexity of how do we hold these different truths at the same time and and yet exercise compassion. There is a scripture that says that when there is moral rot within a a nation, its government topples easily. And South Africa, we're seeing that right now. And it's because this moral rot has been there since the inception of our democracy, where we've had leaders that have been far more um, really interested in gaining materially from this unjust system rather than doing the work that serves the majority of the people. With the looting and the riots that we have seen, let me say this, ordinary people who acted in the moment just steal things. Ordinary people just steal things that they prize. Mm. The people that have burnt malls and have burnt infrastructure, that is premeditated. That is planned. And therefore, we need to be able to separate between those that were caught in the moment and in the excitement, went and went to loot. And by the way, we still need to hold them accountable. But we need to start asking ourselves the deeper questions as South Africans to then say those that actually premeditated, orchestrated, organized, for what reason are they doing this? Mm -hmm. And what are the kinds of consequences that we'll be living with in our country in the next few months, in the next few years? All right. Dominique, let me thank you so much for coming on to the show today. I want to quickly take a call from Ruben. You're calling us from Guamtlanga. Ruben, a very good morning to you. Hello, Ruben. Yes, good morning, uh, Kathy and your team. I've actually been listening to the the two speakers, but particularly listening to uh, Professor Tinyugo Marulek. You know, he he actually divided this into two, talking about the, for lack of a better word, I don't want to, I can't say looters, but those people that we regard as on the lower levels of 
poverty or below the breadline, mm-hmm. and 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 the politicians. But there's a gap that I, I, I that we are seeing, which actually uh, uh, in the looting has a, it makes a, a long chain. As you spoke about uh, leaders uh, leading people and 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 looting, there is another looting in the middle, the looting of the middle middle class. Which also leads to the suffering of the of of, of society in it, in, 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 in as a whole. Mm. I mean, our middle class. You're looking at uh, these uh, professional people that are that are working for the government and so on. These people are waiting for positions to go up, and they are punched in 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 unions. And right now, the unions are very very much quiet mm. because all the some of the money went through uh, these. Uh, 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 bailing out of, of, of uh, uh, state-owned enterprises, and it, it, that's how it was lost. But right now they are all quiet, and that's a class I, I, I would prefer we need to speak to and say why are they quiet and also treating from their couches. Thank you. Ruben in Kwamhlanga. Thank you so much for that perspective. Yes, he's right. We haven't heard much from the unions on this matter But I think an important issue that you're raising is about how the different class structures of this country are being affected and will likely be affected by this violence. Dominic, before I let you go, perhaps give us a sense of, oh, wait, oh, he's gone already. Okay, no no problem. Don't stress. No, don't stress. (laughs) Don't stress, Ronald. All right. uh, let me just uh, take a look then at some of what you've been sending in 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 terms of um, the messages. But what I was going to say is we have a middle class in this country that has by and large um, also been supporting different parts of their families. We know the stories uh, of how, you know, it's been cast as black tax these days. But it, it what it really is, is the ways in which perhaps two, three members of the family are helping to keep an entire, um, you, you know, in, entire families together, paying for different things, ensuring that people have food to eat, etc., etc. And when we have the risk to jobs in the way that this violence has threatened businesses. You also have a wider net or or, or you also narrow the net of people that are able to continue helping to feed their families. And the repercussions of that are going to be even more dire. And by the way, I talk about this middle class that we all know is overly indebted And in many instances, as COVID-19 has shown us with the job losses experienced there, is one paycheck away from poverty. Literally one salary month away from poverty. And and that's the reality of of, of this country. And and the knock-on effects, the ripple effect of this shutdown is still going to be felt for years to come because there are now so many more people that are going to be excluded from our economy, that are going to be unable to access opportunity, that are going to be unable to get to school. And those will be just some of the consequences that we will have to try and live with and navigate through um, through through our life post this violence, this looting that we are seeing. And I say post it because 
we will get through this. I have every belief and hope that we will get past this dark hour and that our country and the best of what our country represents will be able to rise up again. It's 11 o'clock and Musa is standing by with your latest news.